So I guess we could get started with a discussion now about the session six of the material. And uh, I, I just did more review myself around the subjects of wind and fire, which are first mentioned in session six. And that's a, that's a big subject I'm excited to get into because it seems to like be a, a large metaphysical hint into the, or, or I don't know, some symbolic hint into deeper characteristics of our reality. Um, but I don't, I, I don't normally think in terms of, you know, the four elements, uh, like uh, some people make it more part of their spiritual practice to, to think about the elements and respect each of the elements and honor the elements within each direction uh, on the compass. And, I, you know, I, I do that a little bit more now doing the banishing rituals, but um, some people integrate the elements with each of the directions, too. And um, I, I think other people have different uh, schools of thought that they connect. Um, there's Chinese yin, yin and yang I saw people talking about and and uh, uh, Nick and Alex you, you were talking about the the Vedic connections to the elements right yeah they have um, uh, a lot of people call them doshas but it's not really your dosha it's like a constitution and they they have a series of wet and dry and hot and cold and then all of those are put into the vata pitta and kapha and then those make up everything in life and that's like how you stay balanced in your life um <clears throat> there's a little bit i can share that i've learned in the in the mystery school that um has tied elementals in with um, both sacred geometry and um the tree of life so just so i can give you the 30 second kind of very high level is that the very top of the tree of life referred to as the supernal triad. It's the, the most divine aspects of us. Um, that's where the, the triangle is formed. And um, that's fire is the element. And um, it's brought in and discussed in all kinds of alchemical ways, but fire is, is an alchemical um, process and an alchemical um, energy and I I tend to think of it because it's at the top of the tree and most associated with the divine as um, the parts of consciousness that are um, actively engaged with um, things like ascension and and most um, tied into it. The center of the tree um, has effectively two more triangles, but those in a three dimensional version of the tree actually form the cube, and the middle of, of the tree is associated with the cube as a sacred geometry. And the cube represents both air and water. And again, at an archetypal form, the reason that um, that these live there is that the cube represents the four um, cardinal directions plus up and down. And so it creates um, three-dimensional space and, and reality. And <clears throat> there's, a, there's an aspect that I tend to equate to this fluidic nature of water and air where it's really um, much more about being um, just subject to experience and like it's going to take whatever form and whatever shape that you know it's brought through and so those parts of the center of the tree and in the cube and air and water tend to be more fluidic and then the bottom is a sphere and that's physical matter and associated with earth and so the sphere when you think of you know, the, the aspects of physical form um, pulling itself together via vibrational accord and gravity and all of those things. That's why you end up with a sphere because it's literally just everything coming together in physical manifestation. Yeah, and they definitely talk about the 
the square shape is representing the physical illusion. And uh, when they discuss the, the first archetype, the, the magician, they talk about the squares in the bottom right corner. Interesting. Yeah. So we, we could we could actually get first read session six and then see where that leads us, because um, I think it's going to lead us into a lot of different areas around this subject. And um, I think, yeah, I got some notes also, some some other questions and answers to, to look up that seem connected to this that I hadn't made that I hadn't connected the dots before either on, on this. Actually, maybe I even should just go on to one of these. Let me share my screen here. Um, so the one that maybe it would be a good even pre precursor to this. Um, if I go to um, where they talk about the, the awareness of being, being what the first density is learning. I think that would be, I can just search for that. The awareness of being is what is developed in first density. So the, the question they asked was, could you tell me about this first density of planetary entities? And Ra, just talking about the first density of consciousness, Ra said, each step recapitulates intelligent infinity in its discovery of awareness. In a planetary environment, all beings, all begins in what you would call chaos, energy undirected and random in its infinity. Slowly in your terms of understanding, there forms a focus of self-awareness. Thus the Logos moves. Light comes from, light comes to form the darkness according to the co-creator's patterns and vibratory rhythms. So constructing a certain type of experience. This begins with first, first density, which is the density of consciousness, the mineral and water life upon this planet, learning from fire and wind, the awareness of being. This is the first density. So right out, right out the gate, as soon as infinity starts to become less undirected and random and begins to form a focus of self-awareness, then we have this distinction between I guess earth, but they say mineral, mineral and water life. So they're trying to emphasize that there, there's life in the, in the kinds of minerals that are in the earth, I guess. Mineral and water life is learning immediately from fire and wind. Yeah, this sounds like correspondence, honestly. I actually really like how this is, this is portrayed this way because we're they're talking about the more dense components of matter in mineral and water being uh, learning from um, meaning finding formative influence from the air and the fire and that in most other traditions is as above so below as well and so the the spiritual worlds are what are um creating the the formation of the uh, the physical so yeah that's really well so that definitely puts like an emphasis of upward reaching like the lower chakras upward reaching coming from the the mineral and water life and then the downward wind from the heavens being the spiritual realms being the the fire and wind so and that, yeah. yeah that's discussed in many other places in the material we can start touching on too I was going to say 7829, I think, is a similar, like, elaboration on this as well, where they're saying the air and fire are in this, are the chaos that 
uh, what is it, illuminating, informing the formless, so then leading to the earth and, and water from there. So it's kind of building a little bit on that same concept, but that was interesting with the bringing in chaos that kind of brings up a little bit what Andrew, I think, was touching on before with the fire kind of transforming that with the with the wind. Or, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and starting to manifest reality, which is, you know, the entire universe is a consciousness farm and congratulations, you are the farmer, you are the crop. Um, you're both things simultaneously, but um, that's And it speaks awesome. to me with like the, this, you know, there was the all consciousness. And then as the material says, it, it broke down into sub low guy, you know, the the universes and the and the suns and then the suns have their planets and then the planets have the beings on the planet and it's all just you know experience being everything now experience being a universe now experience being a, a sun then experience being a planet and then as you get further and further down the line you are influenced more and more by the rest of the creation around you like you know if you're a mountain you're just being a mountain. You're just sitting there, you know, the wind wishes by and it, and it, you know, pulls sediment off the side and shapes the mountain. The rain runs down and shapes the mountain, you know, uh, and think of things like fire, uh, a lightning strikes uh, a dry piece of pine. It starts a fire and, you know, conifers need fire to propagate. And, you know, the conifers hold the soil together, which lets the build up on the mountain. It's just, it's so fundamental. You you could expand it infinitely one way or the other way, small or or large. But it, it is all just a part of the experience, having the experience as mountain being shaped, and then you know as animal being shaped by your environment, and then as people being shaped by your environment, your um you know the 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 uh, society around you, and all of that. Finer, a finer and finer adjustment of the experience. So this might be a good time to get started reading session six here. So in session five, they were covering the balancing exercises for healing relating to the, the mind and the body. And, and so in session six, um, they say we like to continue the material. And uh, Ross says this as well. We proceed now with the third area of teach learning concerning the development of the energy powers of healing. The third area is, so I guess the third area relates to suggesting all three areas. We're talking about the development of the energy powers of healing. They didn't, I don't think they use that phrase in session five, energy powers of healing, but I think they use it here uh, to put a little bit more emphasis on what they're talking about also. Uh, they say the third area is the spiritual complex, which embodies the fields of force and consciousness, which are the least distorted of your mind-body-spirit complex. The exploration and balancing of the spirit complex is indeed the longest and most subtle part of your learned teaching. We have considered the mind as a tree. The mind controls the body. With the mind single-pointed, balanced, and aware, the body comfortable and whatever biases and distortions make it appropriately balanced for that instrument, the instrument is then ready to proceed with the great work. That is the work of wind and fire. The spiritual body energy field is a pathway or channel. When body and mind are receptive and open, 
then the spirit can become a functioning shuttle or communicator from the entity's individual energy of will upwards and from the streamings of the creative fire and wind downwards. Uh, um, go ahead. I um, Spirit's a little interesting there. I thought that they had talked more somewhere else around the soul being the shuttle which does make sense as I kind of bounce that off the tree of life as well. I think that measures up, but then they're saying here that the spirit itself is functioning I, as a shuttle. I think it's, I think it's been spirit complex is what they refer to as shuttle. I don't remember the soul being discussed. Hmm. See, I don't remember the spirit complex being uh, referred to as the shuttle and the okay. pathway and a few other things in a few sections there. Here, yeah, here. Then, then they're incorporating it into the spirit complex. Then. In 26.22, they almost use them synonymously. We are offering ourselves as those who continue the integration of soul or spirit complex during that transition from space-time to time-space. Um, this was referring to, um, I guess, the transition between uh, being alive and dead. I think that might be what this is referring to. I ask because I, I tend to equate spirit with that highest level self, the monad um, mm -hmm. versus the the vessel, the the functioning soul body that is basically recording our experiences and um, allowing us to work through karma and all of that. But it's not from an identity standpoint, not who we are, but more what we are. But they do nicely refer to it as a spirit complex. And I suppose you do kind of require both of those things in concert to uh, to make them work. I pulled up a few quotes relating to this subject earlier that maybe it'd be worth reading here. Um, so uh, Don Elkins then asked, in session 80 asked, um, either positively or negatively polarized adept then is building a potential to draw directly on the spirit for power. Is this correct? And Ross says it would be more proper to say that the adept is calling directly through the spirit to the universe for its power, for the spirit is a shuttle. Hmm. So it's very strange that they, you know, it's 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 like the spirit is connected into the deepest, highest parts of ourselves, but it's also the way in which we draw down through this, um, I guess, seeming distance from infinity, from from all all that is, is is like it's like it's like the interface between the the universe and us. Mm -hmm. I think they also talk about the roots of mind for that one too, where you're pulling through all the different levels of the roots of mind from the cosmic mind, archetypal mind, uh, planetary, all that. So it's the spirit complex is kind of the, I guess, the ultimate goal of all of that, that comes is at the bottom of the roots of mind. I think there was a section where I talk about integrating all the different levels of mind, but I'd have to see if I can find that. Yeah, we also have to remember that we're on section six. Which is, I mean, they're, they're really still laying down the vocabulary. They're yeah. still trying to figure out what Ra means by certain things. And I mean, you know, just look at the beginning of the session. He goes right into it. Hey, let's start talking about what we were talking about. And, you, you know, as they later gain a further understanding of all the stuff that they're trying to lay out, they always open with how was the instrument? How was the, the banishing ceremony? Like, they're still very fresh in this. And, and they're still trying... Don's still trying to figure out what, what, you know, they're speaking and they're using the English language, but what do they mean by it? Indeed. 
That's why I kind of paired this section, this beginning part with uh, session 1920, where they're talking about the spirit complex a little bit and just going through the details of the spirit complex being basically perfect in itself. And the distortions seem to come from the mind or the body, actually, and the integration or the interactions between the two. But the spirit's actually perfect, but we interpret it in different ways if we're totally, if we're not um, completely clear and unblocked in our mind and body complex and basically in the interactions between the two. Yeah, it does make sense. And the, the Tree of Life maps it out really pretty much perfectly like this and that you've got the physical body at the very bottom and then you've got the most immediate kind of subconscious and that aspect of mind that controls involuntary, you know, physical manifestation, things like that. And then you get up into thinking and feeling and then you go above that into your more broader sense of things like um, justice and mercy um, or and then all the way at the very top of those two pillars you've got basically the pillars of force and the pillars of form so you just get more and more archetypal as you go up so the the soul body is <clears throat> is mapped out pretty well i think in in the tree of life and and I, i'm pretty comfortable with the with their um their terminology of the spirit complex embodying basically the at least the the supernal triad and i think the one um directly below that as well which is um also kabbalistically considered to be um higher states of consciousness and then once you get down below that i think is more just what Ra would call the mind so would it be would it be correct to say that like spirit is the pure expression of experience and then as you start to have the experiences and then layer on how you adjust to the experience that would be starting to get to those lower layers yeah the 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 tree everything below the supernal triad is exactly that the facets of the archetypical mind and how we assign meaning you know via our experience spirit the the realm of of spirit is reserved now again more kabbalistically speaking anyway in basically the very top Zephyroth, it's the it's Keter. That's where the spiritual light, the unobstructed, undistorted light of Keter or light of God or whatever you want to call it comes in, and then it starts going through uh, distortions. And so, in some traditions, when you refer to spirit, you're referring to that completely undistorted, non-individuated, um, non-separate self that is universal and and um, referring to all things and then it basically shatters and becomes individuated as we come into manifestation and we build this soul body around us as we come down through the tree yeah there it well, is. that would make sense that they said that it would be more appropriate to say that the adept is speaking through the spirit to the universe because you're going you know, you are the filters that, that are in your life and then stacked on top of that is, or try not to lose, but like stacked on top of that is your experience. And if you wanted to get an answer or you wanted to get some knowledge, you would go outside of your experiences to the spirit and the spirit is connected to the universe. Exactly. You go all the way up. So that that dot in the middle there um, is called uh, da'at or dot knowledge. So that's not technically one of the 10 sephiroth, but the, the supernal triad at the top is the most archetypical, the most divine. There's no individuated aspects of self. So the, the divine feminine is Bina and the divine masculine is Hokmah. 
And then underneath that, again, you still get slightly one, one layer, you know, abstracted from those types of archetypes and into things like mercy and justice or severity, as they're called. And then when you go down a layer um, to Netzach and Hode, Hode is thinking, Netzach is feeling. So now you're getting into what you would call much more your traditional mind, because this is where you're thinking and you're feeling. And Tifereth is um, also referred to um, kind of where Christ consciousness is is focusing its its um, energy and, and wanting to be in manifestation. So ascension to the Kabbalists goes straight up the middle pillar, even though the path down goes in order from one, two, three, four, all the way down to 10, the path back up, they refer to as the middle pillar because this is polarity, which is one of the, the laws of the universe corresponding to the second chakra. And so your path back up the tree is about now understanding polarity, which Ra teaches us wonderfully with this exercise of whatever feeling you have about a thing. Now, you know, imagine the polar opposite of that. And I'm sure, I, I assume you guys have had a very similar uh, experience as I have in that. I mean, have you ever like literally just dissolved a, a feeling or an emotional response to something by introducing that opposite and going, oh, wow, now I just literally felt it from the opposite. And now suddenly you just find yourself in this neutral, you know, middle ground. Yep. It can be profound. Yeah. So, so I, I think all this is congruent, I guess, is what I'm getting at. While the terminology is slightly different, I think that spirit is really from a perspective of the top sort of moving its way down. Um, but the, the soul body is still part of that complex because um, that is the, the body and the mechanism through which that monad is expressing all the way down into the physical, into this reality. We could uh, dig more into this uh, verbiage Ra's using. I mean, Ra says that the, and there's, a, there's another one I wanted to bring up here, but Ra says that the third area is the spiritual complex, which embodies the fields of force and consciousness, which are the least distorted. So this is saying that they're not free from distortion, but they're the least distorted. And then um, this is, it's what and the spiritual complex embodies. It, it, I don't know if it's saying um, spiritual complex is the same thing when they say embodies. Maybe we should try to gra grasp that word right now. That is kind of interesting. Again, if we're if we are kind of extending or mapping and saying that the spiritual complex itself is, say, the upper two um, triads, for example fields of force and, and consciousness, I'm not quite as sure, but force, absolutely. The right pillar is called the pillar of force and the left one is called the pillar of form. And so under Hokmah in the divine masculine, you have the positive activating, affirmative, um, boundless sort of expression of energy. And on the left pillar in Bina, you have, um, you have form, you have all things in potential and Bina then takes that activated, you know, force and now takes something out of potential and manifests uh, from it. So um, it could be that they're talking because they say the least distorted. And I can tell you that just as we've been saying, the very top of the tree there is certainly the least distorted that you get um, in consciousness. And as you go down, obviously, that's where we start to pick up the rest of these energies that make up the 
the mind and body complexes. Um, so if that's what they're saying, the fields of force and now consciousness, again, I'm not sure where that how that weighs in, but that would um, seem to refer to the left pillar if um, the force is referring to the right. I'm still thinking about the word embodies a little. So embodies can mean um, be an expression of or give, give a tangible or visible form to. So we're giving visible form to the fields of force. Uh, but I think it makes more sense to say include or contain. The, the spirit complex includes or contains as a constituent part um, the fields of force and consciousness. Mm. It, that to me speaks of when, so embodies consciousness, you know, that seems pretty obvious. Everything is consciousness. So every individuated portion of it, you, me, the planet, everything has consciousness in it. But to say it embodies the fields of force and consciousness, that speaks to me of when they talk about how the logos, the sub-logos designs the universe. And they went on to speak about how like, we gave your planet tongues and that creates a whole different experience and you have thumbs and that creates an experience like that's what speaks in my mind when they say fields of force what the logos or sub what the sun in creating the solar system around it decided what it was going to implement to have what kind of experience like to me i've been uh, recently i've been watching a lot of things where um it's trying to dissolve linear time, like watching things to, to people speaking about linear time. And it just keeps coming back to me that linear time is heavily a product of having a tongue and being forced to take your thoughts and put them in a sentence. And, you know, it takes time to get from the beginning of the sentence to the end of the sentence. And therefore, you know, it, it makes a more linear experience on this planet because you have to speak things i can't just beam an entire thought into your head you know and that would be a field of force where you're going to have a tongue so you're going to experience time in a different way that somebody who doesn't need to communicate in that way yeah force force to, could be a very um low level um representation of the of the energies of the galaxy i guess or less, less distorted, yeah. Back in that 1920 that I was bringing up earlier, that seems to kind of further also elaborate on those fields of force and comparing them to electromagnetic energy. But the part I guess I thought interesting on that where they consider the spiritual aspect to be perfect in itself. So they call it perfect, but they call it least distorted in this section then. So it's like there's maybe slightly different distinctions between the two, but that's why I think it's then when it comes down to the body, the fields of the body and the fields of the mind that actually ends up creating that distortion and perceives the way we actually communicate and contact the spirit then. So it's through our distorted um, body and mind, basically, I guess, that can end up having you not see this as whole and perfect, but you can start to begin to uh, make that contact with spirit. I'm not sure if this is what you're referring to, but it says healing occurs when a mind-body-spirit complex realizes deep within itself the law of one that is that there is no disharmony, no imperfection, that all is complete and whole and perfect. Thus, the intelligent infinity within this mind-body-spirit complex reforms the illusion of mind or spirit to form a congruent of just to, to a form congruent with the law of one. 
so is that what you're what, what you mean nathan when you said uh that wasn't the exact section i was looking at but that also i guess does kind of explain it it was more the beginning part of uh session 1920 with Ra's explanation going into the physical complex and then ends up relating that to uh to the spirit that way i'd like to look at that i guess so um i see i see now it probably is uh 1920 right yes yeah, yeah. All right, let's read this whole thing then. Um, so uh, it was Don asked, uh, this was seen then that there's a relationship between what we perceive as physical phenomenon, say the electrical phenomenon, and the phenomena of consciousness, and that they are um, having stemmed from the one creator are practically identical, but having slight, slightly different actions. And then Ross says, we oversimplify to answer your query. The physical complex alone is created of many, many energy or electromagnetic fields interacting due to intelligent energy the mental configurations or distortions of each complex further adding fields of electromagnetic energy and distorting physical complex patterns of energy the spiritual aspect serving as a further complexity of fields which is of itself perfect but which can be realized in many distorted and unintegrated ways by the mind and body complexes of energy fields can be realized in many distorted and unintegrated ways. So that's a very fascinating word to put emphasis on, the realization. It's like self-realization is realization of the self, which is perfect. Yeah, and implicating that there's different levels to once you begin to create that shuttle and contact the spirit, then that you, there's different, I guess, levels to that understanding then. And in contacting the spirit, it's just kind of the starting point where then you can further clear and undistort your mind and body to then be able to see that more clearly, I guess, at least the spirit is the way that I'm uh, yeah. kind of interpreting that with the fields. Yeah. When he says the mental configurations or distortions of each complex further adding fields of electromagnetic energy and distorting the physical complex patterns of energy, that to me speaks of the double split, the double slit experiment as the observer observes then they influence the outcome yeah you know it's a, it's a wave that. pattern it's all it's, it's all potential until uh you come along with your mental configurations or distortions and then you add those through electromagnetic energy and it distorts into the physical complex of patterns into the world around you yeah it's the yeah. wave particle duality going from wave to particle <laughs> Yeah. yeah, like yeah. you you are nailing it down, like the whole Schrodinger's cat. Is it in there? Is it not? You know, is, is the nuclear uh is it dead? Is it burnt out? Is it there? not there? But it's 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 in both positions, it's everywhere, it's all things until you come along with your mental distortions and add to it. Yeah, that is big time Bina, by the way. I mean, all things in potential, the field, the zero point field, I think is what physicists call it. But that's really what's right after that number three is when um, we get sort of plunged in with a whole new light of all things in potential. Um, so again, kind of making sense that that it happens up there at that level. And then it's it's from that well of infinite potential that we are collapsing that ever-present wave into particles moment by moment by moment so i see what you're saying now nathan i see how you're you're drawing this back because he says 
The third area is the spiritual complex, which embodies the fields of force and consciousness. And then they're talking about you embodying the field of force right there. Okay. I see what you're saying. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'll, 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 I'll bind body, spirit, complex, embody fields of force. Yeah. Or, or I mean, fields of influence, you know, you're influencing the things around you. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you, your thoughts are the fields of force. Right. Perhaps consciousness in this, in this context here is referring to that awareness because everything of which we are aware, we are also informing with our consciousness to the, to the other passage that we just read. And, and we're claiming that reality into being and informing that matter with, with our consciousness. So it does make sense that in this regard, that, that consciousness is a field because it's basically, it's what we're aware of. Yeah. And to speak to the point of, uh, you know, doing the flip side argument, you influence the things by what you know, but if you don't know it, then it, it is, it is manifesting uninfluenced. So, you know, like if you don't have a, a thought one way or another on it, then it presents itself in its purest form. And then you, from that point on now have a thought of it because you, you know, unfortunately we form judgments on everything. And the minute it happens, now you have a thought in your head, you know, this is that it happens. Yeah. this. That but way. if you, if you recognize it for what it is first, which is, um, God as substance before, you know, form, before you identify the form, if you see and are aware of the substance first, this is where the miracle happens because you are first and foremost informing that thing of its truest nature, as opposed to claiming it in its separation and isolation and its denial of its own divine nature. Yeah, I think of a, an Alan Watts quote where he says, um, I think it's Alan Watts. It's either Alan Watts or Ram Dass. And he says, you know, you go into the forest and you think, oh, what a beautiful fern or what a beautiful spruce. And then you come back into society and, you know, you don't apply that same thought pattern into society. You know, nobody goes and says, oh, look at this, a beautiful example of a self-serving narcissist. You know, <laughs> they, they think of... God damn that self-serving narcissist. You can't just think of it as a beautiful expression of it. Yeah. But that is how we that is how we alchemize and re-articulate a reality is by knowing the truth first and foremost. And and because of this very um aspect and quality of the observer principle that we're talking about, this is how we alchemize a reality and how we rewrite a universe is literally by changing. Um, how we know things and recomprehending something new and approaching something with wonder. So to your point, Nick, rather than immediately deciding and judging and defining and putting things into boxes, it's more like when we're presented with something new, um, just not deciding and more going, gosh, how interesting, like, what are you, you know, like, what is, what does this turn into? This is awfully interesting. Um, but knowing first and foremost, again, God as substance and, you know, one note sung in the entire universe uh, everything is is one thing. So if you see it as that thing first, then yeah. it will articulate itself into 
a reality at a different level and a higher vibration and and be known by you um in a very different way yeah and uh, just because i i'm just so fascinated by the whole egypt thing and i watch and rewatch, and because of our talk last sunday i went back and rewatched a bunch of the pyramid code and stuff but they speak specifically the guy laird scranton who took a deeper dive into how they um translate the higher um the hieroglyphs he said that uh, i think that the biggest thing that people are missing about egypt is the fact that they had a very deep understanding of the fact that we create through our observation mm-hmm. and to, if, if if more people had the and I don't think that I do, I have a, a, a small inkling of it, but if more people had a full true understanding of how we create the world around us with our thoughts and with our observations, it would change the world around us in an instant because they were talking about it in ancient Egypt. Ra talks about it in these things. You look at quantum physics or you look at different religions, they are all saying that we are creating the world around us in a very, very real way, not just I'm happy and optimistic and and life comes to me like we are very an integral part of the world around us. Yeah, we're participatory. Mm -hmm. It's a participatory universe. Mm -hmm. Maybe with that, I should finish reading this whole passage and then we can go back and get into some of the details of what they mean with this. um, The work of wind and fire. so they said uh, the healing ability, like all others, what this instrument will call with all other what this instrument will call paranormal abilities, um, is affected by the opening of a pathway or shuttle into intelligent infinity. There are many upon your plane who have a random hole or gateway in their spirit energy field, sometimes created by the ingestion of chemicals such as what this instrument would call LSD, who are able randomly and without control to tap into energy sources. They may or may not be entities who wish to serve. The purpose of carefully and consciously opening this channel is to serve in a more dependable way, in a more commonplace or usual way, as seen by the distortion complex of the healer. To others, there may appear to be miracles. To the one who has carefully opened the door to intelligent infinity, this is ordinary, this is commonplace, this is as it should be. The life experience becomes somewhat transformed and the great work goes on. At, at this time, we feel these exercises suffice for your beginning. We will, at a future time, when you feel you've accomplished that which was set before you, begin to guide you into a more precise understanding of the functions and uses of this gateway and the experience of healing. And as far as I'm aware, they didn't really get into that that part of it very much uh, in, in later sessions. Um, but uh, but this this gives a hint that this is like the beginning of being able to shape the world with our thoughts, I think. Through, through becoming a part of this intelligent infinity through this process, which requires a balance, uh, the mind single-pointed, balanced and aware, the body comfortable in whatever biases and distortions make it appropriately balanced for that instrument, then you're ready to proceed to this spiritual integration work. So that's why I think the session five material is like, it's probably where most people hit their hit the walls um, balancing the distortions of mind and body. Um, and then once those prerequisites are, which are single pointedness of mind, which I think also relates in my mind, this relates to the magician archetype where they say 
you have to come back to the new mind, which is free of biases and um, free of all uh, polarization and free of all um, you know attachments and distortions. When you can come back to that single pointed focus, that's when all the all the magical working can begin. And I think that's that's how you can you can start working with intelligent infinity more is by throwing away all the beliefs that you cannot shape the reality that you're living in, throwing everything that would have a you know a bias or assumption around it, and then coming back into the into the heart of the the conscious mind, which is the heart of the archetypical magician, the matrix of the mind, and then the balanced and aware mind is um, able to continue to maintain that. I think by not getting caught up in each individual distortion that comes along as you start using the faculty of the mind. Meditation. Mm -hmm. Like when you meditate on something, the answer comes to you. Yeah. So I, I really like how we're, we're incorporating um, sort of physical manifestation and um, this observer principle into this as well, because again that default perspective from which you are manifesting is either your worldview is one born in separation meaning um non-oneness i mean literally to go all the way out to the highest view of this entire work called the law of one we obviously are approaching life primarily much more in a dualistic standpoint which is why the reality that we manifest around us um reinforces forces that worldview whereas with a worldview um that everything is is the divine expression and manifestation everything is one then we're we're starting to manifest a different kind of reality right yeah i think that's also kind of brought up in the archetype part where they're talking about the spirit where they're saying the actual transformation through spirit then is brought in when you start to disassociate from the illusory world and start to associate them with the true heart of everyone, which is our true heart of our other selves, which is us all being one, basically. So uh, I think Brian even goes into saying, like, or Don was asking if that's like a, you know, if it's almost looked at a bad thing that people start disassociating from this illusion, but uh, not actually the case that it leads to the positive aspect. The way we should look at this is that we are are all one, and it's that then associating with it differently from. Not really seeing our illusion, I guess, as the reality anymore. Yeah, there's a um, there's not quite. It's not really a contradiction, but there's a a, a simultaneous, um, almost proportionate or or mere representation of of consciousness and its movement. As we we seek ascension, and we talk so much about ascension, so our point of awareness climbing in consciousness. Um, we can very easily become um, over-intellectualized, over-mentalized, over-even-spiritual and, and forget the fact that the purpose of being here is to bring um, the spiritual all the way into physical manifestation. And um, so I think that there is a lot around the law of one that's around the integration. And, and we've talked about that already a few times um, today. So we're both, we're, we're ascending, but our, our process of ascending in consciousness um, to the extent that we can really have that be a process where we're bringing those higher states of consciousness into physical reality and, and remembering that that you know being in in physical form is um, is the purpose and not ultimately to sort of just disappear and, and ascend up into the clouds so to speak yeah it's all the, the spirit the physical world is the world 
of function and then the time space dimensions are the place of being so it's 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 always seen as a useful tool to have a physical incarnation in the material but i yeah i thought i think nathan mentioned this 80.20 um uh i i love this one so i'll read it anyway but uh, they say talking about the transformation of the spirit archetype um ross says that, that what you call the sarcophagus in your system may be seen to be the material world if you will maybe i should pull up the image too um Yeah, this will just take me a second to get the image going. You want me to keep reading it while you pull up the image? Sure. That which you call the sarcophagus in your system may be seen to be the material world, if you will. This material world is transformed by the spirit into that which is infinite and eternal. The Oops. infinity of the spirit is an even greater realization than the infinity of the consciousness. For consciousness which has been disciplined by will and faith is that consciousness which may contact intelligent infinity directly. Did I get the right one? Yeah. Yeah. So this is the this is the sarcophagus, which is also square-like, representing physical reality, sort of being called up. So the sarcophagus may be seen to be the material world. This material world is transformed by the spirit into that which is infinite and eternal. So I think this is the integration process we're talking about. Yes, that's the kingdom right there. That that is the heaven on earth bringing the the full manifestation of the spiritual kingdom into physical reality is how I read that because they're literally saying changing the material world which is known to be transient and and limited into that which is infinite and eternal. And consciousness which um, has been disciplined by will and faith and faith is the catalyst of the spirit and will is associated with the magician the matrix of the mind is that consciousness which may contact intelligent infinity directly so that's exactly what they're talking about in session six with the work of the wind and fire i guess uh, the uh, and I, I didn't read this last line, but it, it, it has a lot in it. There are many things which fall away in the many, many steps of adepthood. Yeah. We of Ra still walk these steps and praise the one infinite creator at each transformation. And that to me speaks of what we were talking about earlier when we were, we were saying that, you know, to, to look at spirit, to look at what's coming through the universe or it, from the universe through spirit before it starts to get distorted with all the filters that you have that you've built on your on your individual experience as these things fall away you know as you start to drop your filters and you start to learn that we are all one everything is one and you start to look at everything in that eye and less with your you know i don't like prickly bushes because I got uh I ran through a sticker patch when I was a kid and and cut up my arms and I don't like sticker bushes now I'm like oh yeah but that sticker bush is part of the infinite consciousness that you come from as well you know get that get that um filter out of the way get that distortion out of the way it also seems to tie in with the letting go of our attachment sort of thing and I think that's pretty big in the Vedic and all the other texts there too it's always in buddhist as well as you know releasing your attachments and your identifications 
And that's kind of part of then also disassociating, disassociating from this illusory world to then see spirit in the more uh, pure and perfect way that it is. Yeah, there's a, a um, uh, again, I believe it's on Gaia. It's a, it's a, a guy and he's interviewing Ramdas and it's called Becoming Nobody. And uh, he's like, he says that, uh, you know, I, the whole point of this is to have the experience but the whole time I'm having the experience, everybody's saying like, you know, it's not real. You know, it's not real. And like, yeah, but that's the point is to have the experience. He says, it's like going to a movie and you go and you, you watch Avatar and somebody's sitting next to you going, you know, they're not real people. They're just in blue makeup. They're just in blue makeup. Like, yeah, but I'm trying to watch the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it it is. disassociated too much. You'd be living in that realm where you're not really having the experience that was meant for you to experience. Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier about ascending and sort of, you know, this notion of kind of drifting off into the clouds and like, all right, I'm done. See you guys later. And it's like, well, you know, maybe when maybe when you're done here, um, quite potentially, though, I would contend that that your higher self wants nothing more than to be fully realized in physical form so that it can do its job to raise the vibration and you know, claim a new, a new world into being. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like, um, I assume that the work of the sixth density and seventh density where the higher self is and the higher self is going, I feel like that's at that level, you're kind of working more to integrate your reality with all other people's realities. All realities start to become one reality again at that level. So I think that's why it's it's an inevitability that that we will incarnate, um, you know, in, in third density for the purpose as wanderers for the purpose of of uh, you know ex extending this attempt to to see oneness across every level of consciousness that we can, um, although it might not be possible in third density. At least we're um, we might be laying laying the foundation for for consciousness to have an easier time taking the steps of light. You know, as we as we continue to refine what these steps look like, with um, you know, I, I assume on planet Earth, it's 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 not a very um, common thing for for philosophy like this to be very well understood or appreciated, or it's very quickly distorted. Um, but I think it might be that's becoming less and less distorted. You know, as the centuries go on, that there are people like Ramdas who are, you know, it's it's practically like the the Eastern cultures that Ramdas was learning from are almost jaded to all the words and all the phrases and they have all these concepts in the in the, in the Vedas that that might be um worn out to a degree um do you have any thoughts on that Nick that, that, do they do they understand the pure the purity of the original message or are there different schools that do so yeah exactly there's different schools that do uh in it's almost like the schools are just like come on man just get it just, just please just get it, you know, and then we could all go back to one again, you know, it's, it's like the universe is having this, this exhale where it, it expands into, or consciousness is having this exhale or, or inhale where it, it, it expands the lungs and it's experiencing all these, oh my God, there's all these possibilities. And then it has to exhale and come back to one before it can inhale and, and have all the experiences again. And we're at the point where we're all trying to come back to one and all these philosophies, you know, in their different ways are saying, 
just come on, just get it. And the Wanderers are coming back from sixth density, like, hey guys, think about this. And, and you know, Roz uh, contacting these guys to be like, hey, did you ever think about it like this? But they're all just saying the same thing. Like, dude, we're all one. It's start to embody that. Start to think of your, think of the universe and you that way. There's, um, there are a lot of other, I think we talked about this maybe last month or the month before too, that there are um, uh, a far greater number of channeled texts available today than there were back then. And I think the reason probably, I mean, I'm speaking for myself, but I'm, I'm safe somewhat and I'm assuming that you guys are similar. I mean, part of what the draw to the raw contact is, is this journey that we get to follow um, Dr. Elkins and his particular line of questioning. And I know he formulates it with Carla and Jim as well, but um, it's very attainable and very digestible because it's coming from our same perspective, right? They're out there seeking and asking all these questions. And, and so there's so much here, there's so much content, so much to go over. And with that said, there are other entities coming through um, they don't require trans channels anymore. They're able to come through pretty smoothly and pretty cleanly and, and, you know, crank out either a lot of books or, you know, in some cases like Paul Selig, um, there's another one, um, this lady, Sarah Langdon, I just read her book recently called, um, the wisdom of the council. And so, um, these, you know, this is information now coming through in an affirmative way. So not, not so much just a question and answer, but more that, they've got particular messages. And to go back to your point about reclaiming language, that's a big one for um, Melchizedek and Paul Seller's guides. They're like, you know, paragraph two in the first book, like, okay, we understand that you're getting triggered by this and this and this. And basically you need to get over it because sure, we could, um, you know, sort of act in fear and try to avoid these trigger words um, that we know are going to, you know, trigger you because of your experience with religion and fear and things like that. Um, but we're not in fear and we don't care. And so we're going to reclaim this language and you'll, you'll re-know it and you'll re relearn what it really means. And so they start dropping, you know, words like God and, you know, Christ and things like that. And um, it's almost liberating, honestly, because we really did box ourselves into, or, I mean, those of us that may have gotten raised in one religion and sort of, you know, found that it didn't resonate. It was because we kind of went into this box where there's fear and control and all these things with it. And it is liberating to hear them go, yeah, I don't give a shit, frankly, like, oh, yeah, you're, are you, you know, you feel a little triggered, you feel a little edgy, like, get used to it or, or go hide in the corner and, and, you know, come back to your ascension when you're more serious about it. And so I like the fact that they're reclaiming language. And I would put both of those, all of Paul Selig's books, and then also The Wisdom of the Council by Sarah Langdon, which I think is like a really good high level, almost summary. In some ways, I feel like it's the, the most advanced uh, thing that I've, um, that I've come across. But it's also because it's just so smooth. It's actually really understandable and relatable if your if your um, your general point of awareness and consciousness has been somewhat elevated. It's actually really resonant and just rolls off the tongue. I guess the spiritual tongue, so to speak. I'll have to check it out. I haven't heard of that one. So uh, we we could go back and try to. Uh, pick apart some some more pieces of this now um so i guess uh I, i'm sure that in, in later session in later discussions we'll talk about the mind as a tree more um the 
the bouncing of the, the exploration and bouncing of the spirit complex is the longest and most subtle. Um, and I'm not sure if they say longest because they're talking about it spans across multiple lifetimes. I assume that makes the most sense. Or, I mean, just the way that we experience time. Mm -hmm. Well, there's like, also what happens after we we're done with space and time or when we're done with physical form, mm -hmm. though, then it's kind of strange for them to refer to it as the longest if it's actually outside of time. But don't they even say themselves that they've been in sixth density for a couple billion years or something like that? Yeah, it's like the time space is seen differently than space time, I guess. Yeah, so if you if you lived a couple billion years in time space, it could be a second, you know, could be perceived as a second. But I wonder if it's... Oh, go ahead. Okay. I was wondering if it's like a... They refer to a city as being what you would see uh, in time space as like the... the the aspects of the self that you can travel to and so i wonder if like when you have when you're in higher densities of consciousness you have more more of that time which looks like um your day you know it's like this is your you can you can work with billions of years fluidly like there's no um there's no need to wait to work with your the, the, the higher part of yourself working with the lower part of yourself across different aspects of time does that make sense yeah that, that, that was exactly what I was saying. Like, if you're in time space, everything can happen at one time. Whereas in space time, we have to experience one thing in, in, in the chronological order. And then it, you know, then yes, it takes longer. But, you know, it could be a year for us, a year for them. It's just your perception of time and how, how it's going. It seems longer because we have to experience this than that than that than that whereas in your in your city example they're looking at this than that than this than that as one like okay all of them together then you can you know select and unselect and have that um come as one a thought in an instant as opposed to a lifetime and the span of a lifetime how do you interpret the word subtle so if we break that apart a little bit and say one is longest but the other one's subtle. Do we interpret that to mean that both the exploration and the balancing means that those are done in much smaller increments? Um, I think I had another quote around this I wanted to read because they refer to the spirit also as the least motile. Hmm. Yeah, that kind of makes sense. So yeah, this was this question was about the the matrix of the mind potentiator significator how they differ and they talked about the matrix of the mind as being unmoving yet the activator and potentiation of all mind activity uh, potentiator of mind is that great resource which may be seen as the sea into which the consciousness dips ever deeper um the matrix of the body um is a reflection of the opposites of the mind and its unrestricted motion but the matrix of the spirit is difficult to characterize since the nature of spirit is less motile. The energies and movements of the spirit are by far the most profound, yet having most close association with time space do not have the characteristics of dynamic motion. Mm. Thusly, one may see the matrix as the deepest darkness, the potentiator of the spirit is the most sudden awakening, 
illuminating and generative influence. Hmm. Like it's hard for us to grasp the concept of, uh, where does he say it? Uh, the matrix of the spirit is difficult to characterize since the nature of the spirit is less motile because it doesn't have to happen chronologically. It can all happen at once. So it doesn't have to, I don't have to drive from here down to the springs to see you guys. It's, we would be all in all the places all at once. And yeah. so to us, it doesn't seem like the spirit moves, but the spirit doesn't have to move because it encompasses everything already. Yeah. And maybe I should pull up that other one with the city I was talking about now. Um, I, I can skip the question here. They say in time space, which is as precisely as much of yourself as is space time, all times are simultaneous, just as in your geography, your cities and villages are all functioning, bustling and alive with entities going about their business at once. So it is in time space with the self. Yeah, I like that. I think we talked a little bit the month before last two um, around the non-linearity of time and how we sort of re refer to things as past lives. And yet I think it's been suggested more recently, maybe it was the interview with extra dimensionals or something that, that even that is not entirely the case. And that, um, my parallel lives or, or parallel aspects of my consciousness might be learning um, all at once and in the same way and, and sort of retroactively changing experience and um, so-called lifetimes as the healing happens, which again makes sense because the healing um, per the miracle in the Course in Miracles, et cetera, really is um, like the undoing of, of the lie or the separation. And so it does kind of make sense that that, that would come out as a miracle. I, I guess that's why they call it the most profound also. It's just when you have changes in the spirit, I forget where it said it's the most profound, but um, yeah, it, it seems quite profound to be able to change across multiple aspects of your timeline through one choice, that, that choice happening not in space-time, but in time-space. Um, yeah, and it, it could also be like you you you're having a space-time experience, but in this space-time experience, you're having infinite time-space experiences. So if you walk past the cat when you're five years old and you kick the cat, you, you had a time-space, you, you had a space-time where you didn't kick the cat, but you chose to kick the cat. So your soul went to here and then you felt guilty about it until one day eventually you adopted a cat and then your soul jumped to this timeline. All the timelines happen simultaneously, but you're, you're experiencing, you know, you can jump from one to the other, to the other, to the other, as you make those moment to moment decisions in space time, then you can make the leap in time space to the other experience or expression of your, uh, of, of this experience, I guess. Yeah. And you're making choices every day now that, that will take you to some destination at some point where you look back and realize that that wouldn't have occurred had not every decision been made. And then you can start to feel a little bit less linear about it and say, well, this was the destination. And therefore, across all aspects of self in through time space, the decisions you know necessary to bring that about were, were, you know, perpetuated or populated in our consciousness accordingly. And you could even go one step further to say that 
not only is the the reality shaped by the actions and therefore draw that chronological line to where you are now but also your thoughts mm. you know if you if you wake up and you're just pissed for whatever reason and then you go about your day you're going to have a pissed response from the world because you're not putting out a happy you know what i mean you're not letting people go in traffic you're not saying hi to people on the street i mean you're putting out that your thoughts create the the, the being that you uh you know project to the world yeah the uh the mystery school um teaches early on um all thoughts become action and they actually have a diagram that that shows how thoughts you know do become action as they trickle down and around through consciousness and things like that um, but all of them do so any thoughts that you have become part of the collective consciousness and what they say and i'm not saying that i i claim to have fully embodied or fully understood this but um, just that all thoughts do eventually um, get acted on in one way or another and so they teach you know to to not just be mindful obviously of our words and our actions but even our thoughts um and i'm sure rob talks about that quite a bit too i, I remember they do i know i've talked in the past um uh about it but i firmly believe that the universe doesn't hear no so when you say something like in your mind you're repeating uh don't forget the keys don't forget the keys don't forget the keys don't forget the keys you're gonna forget the keys you know <laughs> and, and that's that i don't think the universe hears negatives and that's just a personal belief but again that's a thought you know that so if you 100 yeah, does that's how you feed that energy the concept yeah. the energy of forgetting your keys when you put your attention on it yeah. no 100 it doesn't it doesn't listen to negatives now fortunately it also we don't manifest instantly because if we did none of us would be here we, we would just blown the whole planet up um before so it takes a little time to manifest those things but whatever you put your energy on which is why um mother Teresa famously wouldn't attend an anti-war rally but um said that as soon as they put on a pro-peace rally she would be all over it I mean she obviously understood that concept quite well yeah and they they say that increasingly as the vibration of the basic photon of all our particles increases in frequency it is this influence which has begun to cause thoughts to become things as we go into fourth density as an example you may observe the thoughts of anger becoming those cells of the physical body the complex going out of control to become what you call the cancer mm. that's the one i was thinking of i couldn't remember the context yeah i'm glad you brought that up So um, I guess we could uh, move on and um, maybe I could ask your guys' opinion on wind and fire specifically now. Um, do you feel that this is referring to um, exercises? I feel like this is definitely, um, well, actually, so I found digging through the bringforth.org forums that uh, somebody had made the statement I was just listening to Jim expand on the exercise of fire, which is something they talk about in other sessions too, the exercise of fire. But Jim Jim went into other details because I think Jim has knowledge from the Golden Dawn that that, that Don was familiar with, some, some extra information um, from these esoteric schools. And 
some someone posted, and I, I believe this is referring to a podcast. I'm going to try to find this podcast. Someone can find it and let me know. But he said, I was listening to Jim expand on the exercise of fire where one visualizes the light energy of the sun traveling through each chakra and then sending it on to someone to be healed. Yeah. And then the guy said, make sure you're not using your energy and to make sure that you're using the universe's energy because then you're depleting yourself. Yeah. I think I remember hearing that. And I thought they were also indicating that Rod did actually give them the exercise of fire, but it just was unpublished in the material because there were because of the potential dangers that were behind that exercise. Yeah. Um, and if I'm thinking, right. I might have seen that podcast a while ago, and I, I thought they LL Research might give that out to people who request it, but they want to make sure you're of the appropriate nature and of the appropriate uh, background, basically, because it's not something they want to just be handing out to anybody because of the dangers that can be behind it. Yeah, I was I was hesitant to bring that up, um, bring all that up, but yeah, it's kind no, of an open sorry. secret now. No, this is good. This is good that I, the universe is guy. Hey, we still don't have it exactly. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, I did not ask LL Research for this material, but apparently they they felt that there was some danger. Um, so Ross said this is only one time this happened. Ross said we request that we that this this information not be published what we're going to share with you because they felt that this was very important to share them this exercise this is visualization and I, I believe it might be summarized in what i just said but the visualization can do, can be so damaging they actually requested in one one session that is not that it, that is published they said that carla should not attempt it herself because it could be damaging so it's is kind of interesting that there is this 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 little tidbit that um ll research is sitting on that they chose not to publish because raw asked them not to publish it which I feel like, you know, to a degree, we're publishing uh, the idea of it now, but um, I'm not sure. I feel like it also connected to so much other material that was in the esoteric traditions that um, maybe it's appropriate that, um, you know, we, we have an impetus to, to read and learn more and, and experiment with visualization practices, which are coming from these other traditions. Um, but but what, that, what, that, what that person summarized of the visualizing the light of, of the sun traveling through our chakras that that to me is i think that's enough of a, a of, of a idea to get the gist of the what, what what we really could be doing with our visualization exercises which is essentially evoking the fire of the sun and and to me like before there was actually you know fire burning through organic material on the planet there was the fire of the sun forming the first density of consciousness mm -hmm. i assume that's what fire represented on earth was the fire of the sun before there was any plant life or anything to burn um so the work of wind and fire to me is like this this work of this highest radiance of, of of the creator coming into our being and as we as we visualize it we can move our spiritual energy fields i assume around that and sort of reshape our spirit and i, I do wonder if if like imagining just the principle of fire like something very bright very strong and white and white white light bright and burning if, that, if that's like a, a fuel source that we can draw on in our spiritual, you know, less distorted energy fields to kind of create a faster level of change. And I think that's also relating to the pyramid. The pyramid is kind of like, a, they call it a candle. You know, there's like three three aspects of the candle flame of the pyramid that's kind of like swirling these pranic energies upward into the into the, the top. And then you can actually put, put a tiny pyramid, like I've, I've got several tiny pyramids around me that you, you just put that under your chair under your pillow for 30 minutes that's one of the things they recommend and then the the candle flame coming off the top that's the pranic energy can help energize you 
um, just from, and I mean, it's like you need less sleep. I think, I think it makes it so that I don't need as much sleep if I, if I remember to do that. Um, after I wake up and I haven't been well rested, that could kind of like kickstart me a lot faster. Um, and, you know, it just energizes the body. And uh, I guess I, maybe this also relates to what they call the vital, the vital energy forces of the body, that they referred to Carla being very high on vital energy and very low on physical energy, but she could power her physical body using the excess vital energy that she had um, that was building up in her <laughs> also through sexual energy exchange from from Jim, the vital energy was being exchanged, or, or did they say the physical energy? I think they said the physical energy is being exchanged. So that's interesting to me. Wasn't it both? Maybe both. Yeah. yeah. I thought she was refilling her vital energy, and and that her physical was was the part that was always depleted, or at least yeah. for. Yeah, that makes sense. Bulk yeah. of it. Um, on the fire front, <clears throat> I um, typically do, and I don't know if they're quite synonymous, but it really does make me feel of the, um, or remember the upward spiral of light. And that's sort of how I see fire as well. And again, going back to the, the, the Kabbalistic tradition being created as the will to receive, it kind of makes sense that basically at our essence, not just this thing that we choose to do, but literally just what we are craves the reception of the light and therefore we just it's sort of like reverse gravity in a way consciousness just it rises naturally because of what it's drawn toward and so that the essence of that the fundamental essence of our nature being this craving and this desire to to ascend and receive ultimately and go back to oneness i think of that as fire because you know fire likewise doesn't have to try to rise you know heat just sort of does that naturally and so i associate that desire with fire and that that desire is also then therefore what um what alchemizes and moves us into you know alchemy we have to have a desire in order to be to move and then wind seems like again when we're getting more elemental or into um an archetype so rather than associating these things with flame and and wind per se i think of more again fire that sort of that desire and then when perhaps the the initial um understanding of um almost vibrational accord but getting into cause and effect and into kind of the middle chakra areas the middle to upper with vibration and this is where we start to realize that we have influence on the world around us and so i think of fire as okay this this primordial desire to get back to oneness wind as the the first um incarnations of intention and our understanding that now we need to to start to think our way through or make motions or whatever now we need to do in order to to feed this underlying desire and fire um, so I still I still see those kind of archetypal at this level. I just keep thinking wind and fire, movement and energy, you know, the and 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 how they feed each other. Where you know you you can't have fire without oxygen, you know, and and it it pulls the oxygen in, and then it heats the air around it, <laughs> and the air gets heated, and the air rises, and the rising air creates more wind. It's just. Uh, it, it just speaks to the, the um, like self-fulfilling um, nature of experience where, you know, you have to have this balance of 
wind and fire and, and it'll form the pathway, you know, the, the, and, and just because the first distortion is uh, like minerals and plants, you know, earth, wind, fire, you know, the, the earth is formed by wind and fire. Yeah. Which is why I was saying like desire and intention, you know, kind of going back to the, the archetypal forms that, that's where then all manifestation and the fractalized nature of the universe, I think, start spiraling downward is, is out of these higher states of consciousness and energy. And then the realization that everything's got to slow down. And so, you know, we go into a big bang and create a, a space time linear, um, a linear uh, expression and experience of everything. And that's when the the water and earth come in finally to complete you know the cycle of from the very highest least dense all the way down to the most dense yeah that's what i meant uh, I, I said distortion but i meant density because they talk about how you know mineral and plant is the first density then you have uh animals and minerals and plants you know they don't have movement. I mean, a plant can sway in the breeze, but it's rooted into the ground and minerals essentially are, you know, on the ground, in the ground, of the ground. And then you get into the next density where you, you have some autonomy, you have control of, um, you know, your movement and, and your decisions and things. Whereas before you were kind of shaped by wind uh, and water and, and fire uh more 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 kind of subject to them as yeah. forces and again this goes back to the concept of you are the farmer you are the crop and yeah. when you're the crop when you're in first and second density the farmer the higher states of consciousness the fire and the wind that is unity consciousness that's that's formative that's um that that created the blueprint for all of physical manifestation is what's still putting forth more of the influence and we're at this just completely amazing, wonderfully awkward, you know, totally exciting and bizarre stage in consciousness where we're just in transition. It's like, is this like sort of the, the it feels like puberty in a way. Like it yeah. just, it feels like we're just so close to on the edge of just sort of, you know, having all this and figuring it out. I mean, fourth density, I think by most accounts is here and, um, but it's still we're we're still you know living in a world that that has the inertia of of the last several thousand years that's waking up and ready to to shake this stuff off. So let's um, let's let's go into some other aspects of this um, discussion that they they refer to with the fire and um, I think they referenced it here. Um, relating to energy transfer. So I'm going to read this uh, session 33. Um, could you define this statement, energy transfer between two mind, body, spirit complexes? And Ross says, um, they start down here. Uh, the physical energy transfer may be done numerous ways. We should have two, give two examples. Each begins with some sense of the self as creator or in some way the magical personality being invoked, which is essentially the, the higher self. This may be consciously or unconsciously done. Firstly, that exercise of which we have spoken called the exercise of fire. This is 
though physical energy transfer, not that which is deeply involved in the body complex combinations. So, so this is a physical energy transfer that's not that which is deeply involved in the body complex combinations. I think that's, that explains my confusion about with the sexual energy transfer thing. Um, it, it's a different kind of physical energy, I guess, that we're talking about than what we normally think of as physical energy. Um, thusly, the transfer is subtle and each, each transfer unique in what is offered and what is accepted. At this point, we may note that this is the cause for the infinite array of possible energy transfers. The second energy transfer of which we, we would speak is the sexual energy transfer. This takes place upon a non-magical level by all these those entities which vibrate green ray active. So when we have your unconditional love for that person, then that's when the sexual energy transfer takes place on a non-magical level. It is possible, as in the case of the, in this instrument, which dedicates itself to the service of the one infinite creator, to further refine this energy transfer. When the other self also dedicates itself in service to the one infinite creator, the transfer is doubled. Then the amount of energy transfer is dependent of, only upon the amount of polarized sexual energy created and released. There are refinements from this point onward leading to the realm of high sexual magic, which would relate to the, the chakra system opening as people can open their, was discussed elsewhere, that as the people open their ability to, um, you know, be free from all hesitation and fully honest in their energy, then they activate the Blu-ray. And there's other aspects of opening the higher energy, the higher energy centers or the higher chakras. And, and I mean, it's fascinating that they don't even, don't even refer to chakras as anything but energy centers mostly, because this is all this, this level of perception that we're attaining becomes the energy that we're working with when we activate these higher, which is also the balancing process, activating the higher centers is a process of balancing. Um, yeah, I guess I don't have to go into these other energy transfers that they talk about, except for the spiritual energy transfers at the heart of all energy transfers as knowledge of self and other self as creator is paramount. And this is spiritual work. The varieties of spiritual energy transfer include those things of which we've spoken this day. Um, so what do they speak of in session 73? They were referring previously to something. Um, maybe I won't go into that just yet. Um, but we can get over to um, session six again. Um, so just re to read this one more time, the spiritual body energy field is a pathway or channel. When body and mind are receptive and open, then the spirit can become a functioning shuttle or communicator from the entity's individual energy of will upwards and from the streamings of the creative fire and wind downwards. I think that concept of will was at least one that I thought was pretty important in the statement there too, because that's the lower energy that's rising up to meet the creative force coming down. But will is defined as what a faculty of power, basically that allows us to, to know ourselves and, and to become the creator from there. Uh, but I think they also indicate at one part there, it's also the great conduit to the creator, a, a single measure of our rate of activation too. So there's a lot behind the will, it seems, that um, then ties into getting up to that high enough level to meet the creative force of fire and wind as the, as the creator from there.
and I think the will could also be the, the full expression of you, what you do, what you what you want to do, you know, your thoughts, how you how you want to have more pure thoughts. Like it's it's the totality of the will of you as the experience. And if you have uh, entities, energy of will upwards. So if you're if you have this this genuine pure calling that you you would like to you know learn the lessons that we're here to learn and and you have that calling and you put that up to the universe then the streamings of the creative uh fire and wind downwards would be more easily receptive i guess yeah exactly and it kind of ties in with the desire that andrew was talking about too having that desire that you know desire of the will to then um be able to learn further about, about the creation and basically will then come down and, and meet you where you're at from there. Yeah, I like that we have various aspects of the will and I like that Ra, you know, spells us out a little bit to your point, Nathan, that you just kind of called out a few aspects of that. And I mean, just for kind of contrast, not to advocate one way or the other, but um, if we didn't talk about it more um, clearly, Kabbalah in Hebrew literally means reception. And so um, for them, that will is the will to receive. Like literally that is what we are essentially was created to receive. Now, there are aspects of, of the Kabbalistic tradition that um, I still noodle on and, and I'm not entirely sure that they are fully resonant. Um, I did just um, start, the reason I missed the call last week is that I started a, a nine-month Kabbalah program. So I'm looking forward to learning more about it, but um, I'm never fully resigned that somehow that tradition just has everything. And I'm still very thankful, of course, to have information like this from Ra that I feel is a little bit cleaner. And in fact, this Ra is what directed me to the Tree of Life and Kabbalah um, ultimately. And yet I'm still using the raw material and and Ra's um, perspectives as more of the lens in a way that I view things like that through but anyway just to throw that up there that the will upwards i definitely read that as very much that that it's just a will to resist it's just like um a plant for the light right like it's just that's it 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 seeks to exist only to photosynthesize and and receive that light and that's what um they contend we are um more essentially and more fundamentally than anything else yeah and the light forms many different petaled fl flowers with each energy center with uh evolving being past the, past the point of the plant it's like it's like <laughs> and it's funny that they even talk about the the species of extraterrestrials which evolved out of plants and the trees can get up and walk around and and they need they need periods of motion in the same way that we need periods of meditation because they have so much so much of the stillness in them the awareness that comes from that meditation that they need more more catalyst but that's yeah it's like <laughs> it's just all a different different way of, of looking at the the light that we're they were receiving um but uh when do they talk about the the trees that move i could i could look that up that's kind of a funny funny side note i guess yeah because that that to me brings up the whole concept of um, like I've, I've said before, uh, where somebody, uh, is allergic to outside 
and then they get their their past lives read and they found out that they were secluding themselves in the gardens and not talking to people so this go around this life they're allergic to outside you know and and if if the tree people you know they were too all over the place you know then this life they develop into a tree person where you you know they have to be i don't remember that part but that that kind of speaks to the the totality of the experience like okay well you you were too energetic you couldn't focus you couldn't still your mind now you're going to be a tree person now, now you're going to have to focus on moving because you're so still yeah but it's not you it's i well i mean this is sort of the this is the kicker and i think i asked this question a couple months ago too trying to figure out that um i'm it's often referred to as the you know the soul or the soul body knows quote unquote what needs to be learned in an incarnation before you incarnate and it's like i don't know that it knows in the way that i know it's more like it's recorded the frequencies are there it will call forward these lessons regardless because it's it's there it's almost like saying a book knows the contents that are in it and it's like well i don't know if the book knows it or just carries the contents because my my egoic or intellectualized self says well, if part of me knows what needs to be learned in between lives, then it means I do know everything I need to know already. And then why am I, you know, doing this over and over again? And um, there is this whole life review, I guess, that happens. I think Rod talks about that a little bit too, but it's kind of interesting. What aspect of self is it that's deciding the learning that's needed? Because it 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 creates the image of this objective perspective, right? You do the life review and you're like, oh, okay, now I see. Well, cool. If you see, then like, you got it right but you know then they talk about that too but we can't make those changes in time space we have to go to space time to, to actually you know work through the, yeah. the healing or whatever i think it's probably the difference between watching a movie trailer and watching the full movie it's like you have this rough outline i think i need to go explore this more and so yeah. that's what they say here with the, with the vegetation of don, don asks if since the bellicose nature is impossible as far as i understand for vegetation would not they have the advantage as they move into third density from second as to not carrying a racial memory of a bellicose nature and therefore develop a more harmonious society and accelerate their evolution in this nature? Is this true? And Ross says this is correct. However, to become balanced and begin to polarize properly, it is then necessary to investigate movements of all kinds, especially bellicosity. Um, so this person, yeah. Hickson, is the person that they were, I'm going to read this next one too. Um, Charlie Hickson is something that someone was, a, there was an ET contactee that Don Elkins was asking about who had uh, encountered one of these beings who was very curious to know about this what what this person had in their memory around warfare because they were so curious about what the heck is going on on our planet that we would be so interested in warfare and Ross says this is correct entities of this heritage would find it nearly impossible to fight indeed their studies and movements of all kinds is their form of meditation due to the fact that they are their activity is upon the level of what you would call meditation and thus must be balanced just as your entities need constant moments of meditation to balance your activities. It's almost like that was, and again, <laughs> how do you, how do you say it without you bringing up the concept of time, but like th that was one of our distant past lives, you know, where, where now we're at a point where we're learning how to meditate, whereas then they were forced to meditate and they everything became a thought and and the the uh 38.4 because as soon as you said 38 i went back i started looking at my notes i was like oh yeah i do remember this now 
And the 38.4, the mechanism of inspiration involves an extraordinary faculty of desire or will to know or to receive in certain area accompanied by the ability to open to, tr to open to and trust in what you may call intuition. And that's like what you were saying, Andrew, where he was like, okay, if I can look back on the review and say, oh, this needs to change, why haven't I already got it? Well, because you have to go back into the realm where you have to know, okay, well, that has to change and you have to use your intuition to, you know, follow along with the change and live the change right. instead of just thinking the change. Make different choices. Yeah, because it's yeah. not, there isn't a shortcut. I will say that there's, there's a shortcut or the shortcut, the universal shortcut in all cases seems to be forgiveness. Now, I think that probably takes lifetimes to even to understand at a deeper and deeper level. But um, there is a little bit of a silver bullet um, that we're led to from a number of, of the wisdom traditions. I think that forgiveness is very closely rooted to the thought that we are all one. It's so much easier to forgive if you can if you can associate that person that you feel wronged you as a portion of you. And as that's you. Like one of the root thoughts that if everybody had that thought down, forgiveness would be easier. Therefore, the knock on effect of, you know, this wouldn't happen and that wouldn't happen and this wouldn't happen. Yeah, that's commonly referred to in correspondence as well. And that all forgiveness is forgiveness of the self, uh, self and likewise, uh, anything that you judge in the world outside of you is actually some quality or aspect um, internal to you that you're judging and that um, could use your forgiveness. And I mean, just constantly throughout the raw, the raw material, he's saying love of self or love of other selves, you know, it, it, yeah. it, practicing love of, of someone else is practicing love of yourself because they are you. They are you. Yeah. Yeah, I, I assume within forgiveness, we end up do, doing all kinds of different spiritual work that 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 remove the blockages that are between us and total forgiveness. Um, and it's like, you know, I, I've even seen people. You know, we can we can be accepting of people to a greater degree than we were without having our heart fully open to them. I think that's a lot of what people associate as forgiveness is like. Well, I'm I'm gonna allow this situation to not upset me as much right now. But if you think about that situation, you might start to get just as upset as you were originally, or at least some portion of that emotion might still be there. So it's so forgiveness is interestingly, it's like it's a process of becoming increasingly honest with yourself also about the areas of spiritual work that still have to occur so that all those emotional charges can finally reach full balance. And and the and, and it, you know, if the person comes in and does the same thing again, you won't even react at all that time. Yeah. And I think that those, that those states and those reactions are also, um, are archetypal. I think that we carry this notion of original sin as it's called. And again, we're reclaiming words and not sin in terms of, you know, in judgment, but really just in denial of self and the story of the fall in the Bible is what maps us out energetically and we've got Cain murdering Abel and this is um, consciousness unfolding from singularity into plurality moving into fear moving into denial of the divine and effectively seeking to murder um, itself or some aspect of self that it deems now to be you know um, 
uh, fearful. And that archetypal energy of shame and guilt and regret is um, what's reflected in all of the experiences that we have in density. That's what creates the energy of that is that we did this. We did this as a unity consciousness. We did this at the primordial level and it's fundamental to all of us and really important. I think that we understand that that's the source of the darkness as this, you know, this um, same series of events that we all share in our primordial selves and why we're walking around, you know, blind to a lot of things, the veil notwithstanding, but still the structures of consciousness. Um, the, the tree of life actually implies at least three different veils, and I haven't learned about them enough to, to speak intelligently on them, but um, it does seem that the path of of reascension and forgiveness again i mean because it's absolutely so central and integral this is the atonement this is what we're we're here to fix is what we caused energetically um that that turned into a whole big bang and all of space time that had to um to play itself out just so we could have a path back i think um so we've got 20 minutes left in our normal session time frame um and uh yeah, I hope to discuss love and forgiveness in practically every session <laughs> to, to, as long as we're doing these. Um, um, but uh, I, I feel like I've, I personally, I, I know we've had discussions that were not recorded about this a little bit, but um, I'm, I'm still not even sure how to interpret some of what, what Ra is saying in this final portion of the of session six when they talk about um, well, they're talking about paranormal abilities. They imply that the healing ability is a paranormal ability, which is um, interesting because most of what we think of as healing is not usually paranormal. It's something very natural. Um, but they're but they're but they're specifically talking about the paranormal healing ability, which suggests that there's something going on with um, you know the access to intelligent infinity through the crown chakra that uh, is somehow benefiting the other person, which I assume is a process of of uh, providing energy in some way that allows the person to reform the energy field. And that's something they talked about with the pyramid healing that the person, um, when they're in the pyramid, their energy fields are interrupted. And then that allows a new configuration of the, of the person who's being healed to choose that new configuration themselves. And because of the environment they're in, it's easier to, to reconfigure those energy systems. Um, so I assume that energy being offered paranormally by the healer in, in this sense of the exercise of the fire this would be the um the, the kind of environmental shift in that person's energy fields of who's being healed this is my assumption about what they mean um and maybe i should bring up that quote about the pyramid too so that makes a little bit more sense too um yeah i think they're talking about how the the, the you 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 just like a baby is just this bliss machine and then as you get older you you layer on what you are, what you aren't, what society thinks you are. But basically what happens is you start at a frequency and that's the pure frequency. And then as these other things enter into your life, you start, the frequency gets distorted. It's just like if you listen to binaural beats, you know, if you listen to certain frequencies, they're supposed to be this frequency of love, this frequency of forgiveness. And if you're lacking love or you're lacking forgiveness, that means that that frequency isn't playing in your being. And if you listen to that frequency, you're inducing that frequency into your being through 
pyramid technology or, you know, binaural beats or, uh, you know, whatever, a tuning fork, meditation, but essentially you, you were the pure frequency, you got distorted from one way or another, and that you're trying to reinduce that frequency. Right. Yeah. So this, this here in session 55, they said, um, this question was about, <laughs> funnily enough, this was about the chambers above the king's chamber, the, which they call the chimneys. Um, but Ross said, we must address this question more generally to explicate your specific question. Um, the positioning of the entity to be healed is such that the life energies, if you will, are in a position to be briefly interrupted or intersected by light. This light may then, by the catalyst of the healer with the crystal. So there's still a healer involved that is using a crystal. And I don't know if they mean by crystal, they mean the pyramid itself is the crystal. Um, um, by catalyst, by the catalyst of the healer with the crystal in this configuration of the light being intersected, the healer may then manipulate the oral forces, as you call the various energy centers, in such a way that if the entity to be healed wills it so, corrections may take place. The entity is reprotected by its own now less distorted energy field and is able to go its way. Yeah, like it's, it's the, your energy field, if you want, if it wills so, will will easily take on that frequency because it wants to be back at that frequency. You know, intersected by light. What is what do they always always light love love light? You know, if consciousness if consciousness consciousness is love, and we're having this experience of like as you said, you know, we're 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 going into fear, you know. But instead of saying going into fear, say we're going away from love. And if pure light love is consciousness and it, and it wanted to have an individuated experience it would have to move away from love to have an experience other than being the creator because the creator is light love you know so it would have to move further away from love to have all these different experiences before it could come back into that love consciousness and um the dude who's the the commission guy on uh the pyramid code said that the the healer the person would go into this uh area and the healer would look through a viewing box and then they would look through the viewing box and it would tell the healer which portion because there's there's three pyramids in the complex and there's different rooms in each one and he was saying how the the look through the viewing box and determine that this vibration is off and it would tell them where that person needed to go in the complex to realign their vibration. Wow. Um, there is a similar concept um, or just something that seems reflected in this in um, Paul Selig's books in, you know, really claiming the truth. And this is, I mean, it's in like all 10 of the books, like pretty much throughout, but claiming the truth about someone who may be in denial of their own divinity creates an opportunity. So it doesn't, it doesn't fix them. And they're really, really clear about that, that you're not fixing anything. You're not deciding that you're especially not deciding that something is broken or wrong or that God isn't present in it. You're simply realizing what's always true is that that person um, that you're perceiving, of course, is God is an expression of the divine and that knowledge that knowing, um, knowing means to realize and to realize means to make real and to make real in this case, when it comes to somebody else's will is to introduce to your point, Nick, the frequency of truth of, 
of the divine, of knowing that person in truth. And that basically creates a possibility, creates an option for them energetically to experience that vibration and then either choose it for themselves uh, or not. But that's why, you know, they say that for every one awakened person, they can awaken a thousand others. And that's, you know, our job is to just be aware. And they, they push that um, heavily, by the way, there's a lot of work and intentionality that we do in all of these studies. And um, most of the books, though, um, and I think Ra does this too, but ultimately winds it back to a way of being, you know, it's one thing to spend the time to work to understand these things. But then ultimately, you're moving into just awareness, you're moving into to being you're simply more primarily aware of the presence of the divine, than you are in denial of it. And so by simply being um, in somebody else's awareness, you're introducing these possibilities into their field without intentionally doing it. So it's not just making the claim anymore verbally, um, but really it's now that you move into that kind of understanding, you are that claim. You know, your your beingness, your broadcast is in the knowing, in the realization of truth. And so you're just always broadcasting it, whether you're trying or not. Yeah. And I think the crystals help with that too. The crystal kind of amplifies whatever consciousness you've charged that crystal with to be a broadcaster for for the same vibration. Yeah, and probably like um, Nick, what you were saying too, introducing vibrations that represent different aspects of the tree, for example, or different aspects of the the the, the totality or the complex, the mind-body-spirit complex. And there might be aspects that are particularly deficient or that you haven't explored and that that's where they bring in this healing is by now exposing you effectively to to a very raw form of that energy that exists in you know a particular chamber um, that makes a lot of sense this is kind of bringing these things uh together really well i think they talked about another section there that that king's chamber also is giving you the opportunity to connect with spirit so in that ability to connect with spirit, you can then from the time space realm, come back and use what you've learned to be the less distorted, like they're talking about earlier there. I, that seems to um, line up also with the other parts they're talking about the King's Chamber's ability basically to connect with spirit. Yeah, to, to put you right back at the, at the right frequency. Like you wake up and you feel great. It's going to be an amazing day. And then you stub your toe and you start to vibrate frustration. And then you're walking out the door and you like, your jacket gets caught in the door and you shut it in the door and you gotta open it back up again. Like, and, and as you start to, you know, you start to teeter a little bit and you start to vibrate under the, the frequency of frustration instead of the frequency of love, which you woke up with, then you go into these certain crystals or certain sections, King's Chamber, Queen's Chamber, whichever it may be. And they're, they're you know, putting that frequency around you and it's allowing you to release the frequency of frustration easier. And I, I recently was watching somebody talk about, and I, I haven't dove into it enough to really, like you said, speak on it intelligently, but they were saying that crystals are actually a liquid, but because of the frequency they vibrate at, they appear solid to us. Much the same as like glass is a liquid, but because of the frequency that it vibrates at, it, it appears as a solid to us. But if you look at old, old windows, they actually start to like melt down. Mm -hmm. and, and, and 
that just speaks so much when, especially when they're talking about water and water holding, you know, it, it holds everything. It holds like the, the secrets of life and life comes out of water. And uh, it's just, just yeah, the memory of life. Yeah. It just seems to have so much. Okay. So for the last part of this, I, I kind of want to get through this uh, last section that I, I want to ask about the LSD section, see if you guys have any thoughts on this, because I'm not sure what to make of this. I I don't know if it's um, it's no longer taboo to mention that I've, I've tried LSD and I've tried large doses, and I do not identify with the statement when they say, um, there are many upon your plane who have a random hole or energy, or a random hole or gateway in their spirit energy field, sometimes created by the ingestion of chemicals such as what this instrument would call LSD. So. I, I know that I've I've had experiences of of uh, feeling like I'm one with everything and my my personality is dissolved. I don't know if that means my spirit has been melded or merged with the consciousness around me because I feel one with the, the the consciousness of the the plants and the animals and the objects in the room. Even it feels like there's different um, densities or degrees of the of the consciousness that that I'm able to sense and connect with in the that it, it feels like it's just a it's like a wave in an ocean more so than you know a block on a piece of concrete it's a, it's something that is all connected it's just the, the humans happen to have larger waves than than plants and animals have smaller waves of consciousness that are just kind of like blended together in this space of the i guess the realm of the the energy fields of the spirit um you said you don't feel that, that it has a hole or gateway because of that? I don't feel like I've developed a hole that is causing me to, oh, this, this second part's important too. These people are able, who have this hole or gateway in their spirit energy field, they're able randomly and without control to tap into energy sources. And that's even ambiguous to me what they mean by energy sources. Um, and they may or may not be entities who wish to serve. And I, I think I think this means that um, the, these people who have this hole or gateway in their spirit energy field may be of service to self or service to others in the way that these holes end up showing up in some form of an energy that the person has tapped into, becoming some some energy that's connected to them in some way. Yeah. Well, the, the, I mean, whether it's LSD, psilocybin. Uh, DMT, whatever it is, these these chemicals put you in a state, and you know, just like we were talking about earlier, if you listen to binaural beats or you go into the king's chamber, you, it, it puts you at a frequency, and then you know, if you even for a brief moment in that journey uh, with those chemicals have the ability to uh, experience that frequency, then you've experienced that frequency. And some people may go their whole life, you know, and as soon as they lose that, that blissful childhood frequency, they never feel it again, you know, and even if you have to you take the chemical and induce it, or you can induce it through meditation or however you induce it, but you're, you're bringing your energy field back into the place where it, it you know, it receives intuition more easily. And it, and it is open to, to the speakings of the universe more easily. And then, you know, whichever way you're polarized, you can use it that way. You can, if you realize that we're all one and you're service to other selves, you can go about your day and, and continue that thought, that frequency in your life. Or if you're service to self and you realize that we're all one, you're like, oh, well, if 
that dog is me too, then I can manipulate that dog and make him do shitty things, you know, just like I can manipulate myself. It's, it's, but it's that, again, it's that frequency. If you're, if your frequency is altered or, or, you know, off in, in one way or another, and these chemicals can help you reattain alignment, then that's, that's what the whole or gateway to me sounds like. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I see. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to just point out that um, that it creates a random holer gateway is one thing, though. You know, if we're taking this really kind of literally as we can, if we if we assume that the ego death that we talk about, for example, becomes the gateway, meaning the possibility, because the aspect of self that insists that we're limited, et cetera, et cetera, has now been quiesced. Um, so having the opening is one thing, um, but traversing it or going through it might be a little bit of a different thing. Yeah. And it might require some intentionality or um, because, you know, we probably likely all had a similar kind of um, experience. And I would agree with you, though, Mike, I would also say that, yeah, I don't know that I've quite felt like that was intelligent infinity. What I can say that I had um, over and above the the oneness um there was a time where this quality of being in relationship to that which i perceive that became it was very very tangible it was it was very interesting i was sort of looking out a window i'm watching traffic and um that was maybe a step closer toward the whole of the gateway because one first you know the 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 sense of self and separation falls asleep. And then I move into more of an exploratory phase and now I'm looking out and now I'm engaging my perception. I mean, I'm engaging this interactive component that we were talking about earlier. And I just, again, had this very real feeling of being in relationship with it. And so the, the act of perceiving it, you know, becomes the, um, the active, um, you know, component there more so than me as a perceiver or an observer. Um, so I would say that maybe, maybe there's a matter of opening the gateway being slightly different than walking through it. Yeah. I kind of looked at it more as being from what they stated there. It's kind of a forced opening, I guess, for lack of a better word that through the LSD, you are creating this gateway or contact them with your spirit or intelligent infinity or somewhere of the like. But there's only so much that you have those experiences, you can take them back into your life, but you can't actually do any of the work that they talk about from the pineal gland of the healing. Uh, I think what they talk about the rest of the uh, statement there too, that if you do this more uh, religiously and in a disciplined manner, you can then actually have the abilities to then move forward and, and use this gateway in a reliable manner instead of just making that contact. You know, that's kind of it. You've experienced it, but it doesn't necessarily have have an impact on your life moving forward after that uh, in this case lsd experience i'll read that the that part again the purpose of carefully and consciously opening this channel is to serve in a more dependable way this is this is contrasted against lsd but i'm not sure if they they're saying that you know a person who cannot cannot carefully and consciously gain this ability you know uh, even the story from ramdas was that maharaji he took uh you know like you know, a, a thousand micrograms of LSD and nothing happened to him. He was just the exact same, <laughs> same person. Yeah. He did it twice and it was the same person. Because he lives in that state all the time. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that goes to what you were talking about, Andrew, where you were saying like, you know, 
the, the gateway can be there, but it, you have to go through the gateway. And that's what they're talking about. To, the purpose of carefully and consciously opening this channel to serve in a more dependable way, in a more commonplace or usual way, um, the, you know, that, that's walking through it. That is not just seeing the gateway and having the gateway, but choosing to walk through it, uh, you know, is, is cultivating right. the, the practice there. Yeah. And so I assume this is the crystallization of all the, of all the energy centers that they're talking about, um, activating each in sequence and working on each in sequence and becoming the adept. And then at that point, psychedelics aren't even really needed, I assume, um, to, to have any of these experiences that we've been talking about. Um, so 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 to others there may appear to be miracles and uh, there's not that many miracles reported from psychedelics users but they do they do happen there's some some stories of uh of, of paranormal things happening um i don't know if people talk about healing as often because it seems like maybe most people who are doing psychedelics today are not doing it in a religious kind of setting although <laughs> in colorado that could change <laughs> most of my experience with it has been around healing the retreat that i worked at and you know close to six or 70 people that i sat with um easily 80 if not closer to 90 percent of them were all there uh, for some level of healing and in fact it reached the end of their rope and we're dealing with either chronic depression or anxiety lots of um, childhood trauma um, sexual abuse uh, things like that so i would say that um, I've seen a lot of people go in intentionally to heal those kinds of things with psychedelics, and I've seen a lot of really great work done. Mm -hmm. So to others, there may appear to be miracles. To the one who is carefully open to the door to intelligent infinity, this is ordinary. This is commonplace. This is as it should be. The life experience becomes somewhat transformed, and the great work goes on. Yeah, and that's, to me... Um... I don't have much experience with LSD, maybe only once or twice, but decent experience with psilocybin and, and um, DMT. And to me, the biggest thing that, that that they show you, those chemicals show you, is that we're all one. It dissolves the boundaries between, you know, dependent on the dose, dissolves the boundaries between you and the, the bed, the, the, the boundaries between you and another person, the boundaries between you and anything. And, you know, that to to uh, to those who have co carefully opened the door, uh, this is commonplace. This is as it should be. You know, this is realizing that you are one with everything, and right. then you come down from this experience. The chemical flushes out of your system, and you go back to the you know separation way of living. That's why right. Maharaji takes LSD and nothing happens because dude's always living in in love and light because every he knows everything is him and and uh and vice versa yeah it's almost like the word infinite literally is the most um important you know concept in this whole thing because the the gateway to intelligent infinity might very well mean the disillusion of the illusion or the the walls and and things in consciousness that we put up um, to be more finite and in limitation. Um, yeah. So it does kind of make a little bit of sense there that this hole or gateway to infinity, um, I tend to still think of it as this thing that's kind of outside of me and yet really might be the door still within that's more a matter of breaking down that which does keep me in isolation and separation. Yeah, because if you were to think of yourself as the finite, to go into the finite would be infinity, you know?
That's well, funny how words do that kind of stuff. Like disease is dis-ease, you yeah. know, and infinity to go into the finite. If you considered yourself to be, I am me, I am separate, I am finite. And then you traveled so deep within yourself that you dissolved <clears throat> your finiteness. We can break it down here. So we've got yes, not and finitus. So really it's saying not finite with the in and the finitus. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. If you're the finite, you are not the finite when you go into that gateway. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of interesting because I, you know, I don't know that I've quite thought of the antithesis of intelligent infinity quite simply as therefore unintelligent finiteness, I suppose, which, hey, that's me to a T, right? <laughs> yeah, or, or, you know, intelligence doesn't have to be this crazy complex thing. It could be a very simple thing. Yeah, just to imply, yeah, you're right. It's it's more of a concept, intelligence, meaning there's a there's an I am presence. There was at one point that they, Don asked to define intelligent infinity, I think. Do you remember that, Nathan, or anybody? I do remember that because I couldn't break it down. They wanted to use it together that you couldn't necessarily do them separate, right? It was yeah. more complicated on them to explain it. I, I don't remember the that, exact section. Be, that'd be great to find out. Um, that may have been the difference between intelligent um, or, wait, was it intelligent energy and intelligent infinity? Here, here we go. Let, let's, yeah. let's, let's try this. Um, so session 27 would you define the word intelligent and the concept of intelligent infinity? And Ross said, we shall address the entire spectrum of this question before defining as requested. Your language using vibrational sound complexes can be at best an approximation of that which is closer to an understanding, if you will, of the nature of conscious thought. Perceptions are not the same as sound vibration complexes, which, which these words are sound vibration complexes they're talking about. Perceptions are not the same as sound vibration complexes and the attempt to define will therefore be a frustrating one for you, although we are happy to aid you within the limits of your sound vibration complexes. To define intelligent apart from intelligent infinity is difficult, for these two vibration complexes are equal one concept. These two vibration complexes equal one concept. It is much like attempting to divide your sound vibration concept faith into two parts. We shall attempt to aid you, however. And then they, and then, um, and then Don said to, continue and, and just define intelligent infinity. And then Ross said, this is exponentially simpler and less confusing. <laughs> there is unity. This unity is all that there is. This unity has a potential and a kinetic. The potential is intelligent infinity. Tapping this potential will yield work. This work has been called by us intelligent energy. The nature of this work is dependent upon the particular distortion of free will, which in turn is the nature of a particular intelligent energy or kinetic focus of the potential of unity or that which is all yeah i love how that's exponentially simpler <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah i feel like i would have to read 27.4 and 27.5 and just write a book of notes on those two because like this is one of those ones where uh like as i was reading i would write notes and things like that and i would write a certain uh notation in in the boundary or in the margin 
when it was one of those passages where I read and then I reread and then I was about 30, 40 times before I was like, I think I know what they're saying. But it was one of those ones where you have to just go down like you do, Mike, where you have to break down every word. And then, you know, and for me, I couldn't even do it. Like if somebody else was in the room doing things, I couldn't like I had to have this pure silence and meditative uh, uh, you're just asking for intelligent infinity to reveal to you what that sentence means, what that passage means. Cause it's just, it's so complex. Yeah. How about this? How about next time we could just dig into a bunch of other references to intelligent infinity and that could be, that could be a session. That'd be a really great session. Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm kind of wondering in a, you know, obviously we're always going back to whatever traditions we're most comfortable with or understand the most. And, um, I'd like to maybe dive into the definition of kinetic a little bit more too, because if 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 unity is being broken into potential and kinetic, if potential is the the third sephirah, which again is like all things in potential and kinetic is more the activating force, well then that actually makes a ton of sense. What they're really breaking down is um, the the base of the supernal triad between Hokma and Bina, and it's like oh, in that case, it works perfectly because intelligent infinity is all things in potential as Bina and intelligent energy is the activating choosing force of Hokma. So is this considered the left-hand side on the right or is this considered the right-hand side on the right? Do you call that the right or the left? It's considered the right, but if you map this to the physical body, you back into the tree. So, so the two is your um, left temple as opposed to your right temple but the left pillar is normally referred to left and the right is right and you can see it's got negative and positive here are also uh, represented and again so those... would, you, would you back into it meaning your right shoulder would be on the negative pillar and your left shoulder would be on the positive pillar correct yep and your right shoulder is Geburah, um, which is number let's see three four five and hesed is your left shoulder so the supernal triad is in your head itself between the two temples and then the the crown chakra and then your shoulders are uh, Gebra and Hesed, the heart chakra heart center is Tifereth, and then um, Netzach and Hod are your hips. Um, Yesod is um, the genitals and perineum, and Malkuth uh, is the feet, which is the physical representation.